Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in your week in what? Sports cars. With who? Graham Goodwin and, well, me. I'm back. Thanks, Graham. And uh, to our dear pal, dear, dear pal, Guy Smith, and then our man, Marino Franchitti, for subbing on my behalf in the last two weeks. Do appreciate that and appreciate you. And thanks for uh, holding down the old uh, fort here, brother. Quick mention on top of thanking Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com and all of our great listeners who fuel the show with questions. Wanted to mention, Graham, this is going to be episode 1200. Uh, wow. we, we, yes, 1,200 episodes. This is. Holy wow. cow, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like one a day for the last 74 years, if my math is. Yes, we're both good at math. Uh, <laughs> we can count to 21 if we take all of our clothes off, but we'll leave Absolutely. that as it is. Um, how you doing, my friend? Uh, tell folks that you are indeed uh, on an endurance mission for this episode, oh, yeah. having just had your, uh, your, your uh, hybrid battery drained completely <laughs> yeah i mean both uh, my good lady and i uh, had our covid booster jab yesterday and truth be told i feel like i'm hit by a truck um so if i if i do drop off at any point during the show just please just scream uh, but um, yeah we won't wake you no, up we'll let you sleep it's it's all good um lots of planning at home now until the holiday season your end christmas season etc etc and um, looking forward with some trepidation to the revised calendar for the new year that now sees eight consecutive weekends after New Year of international sports car and GT racing. With the change for the Kiel Army nine hour uh, from the first weekend after New Year, we have eight um, in a row. And in some cases, I think in two cases, we've got two on the same weekend. So that's quite some puzzle to unpick so at the moment uh, playing the game of finding out which of those i'll definitely be going to i can tell you i'll definitely be going to uh, the asian le mans series and delighted mp that we had a chance to see uh, what the provisional entry is there with a record 39 cars uh, whilst the lmp2 entry um needs tidy just four cars 25 gt3 cars and some more storylines still to emerge from that so that as we move through and into a new era for the Asian Le Mans series after this current quick fire season um, is, you know, it's pretty exciting stuff. There's, you know, there's no shortage of people wanting to come and play if the format is correct. So lots more to come. I love it. Well, we got also say thanks to our pal, Daniel Summerskill for putting together our list of questiones. And as the official selector, I haven't used that term in a while. Uh, the official selector of which categories we work from and when we work from them, whether it's IMSA, ACO, slash WEC, slash ELMS, slash, 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 uh, general and fun. Where shall we start this episode, my good man? Well, we'll start it, I think, with IMSA. And um, the first question comes from our friend, Right Turn Lover. And this comes off the back of an uh, announcement that G-Drive Racing, 
uh, will once again collaborate with our good friends at Algar Pro Racing from Portugal uh, in what they hope will be a full season of the FI World Endurance Championship with a single car efforts, but also uh, an effort under the G-Drive uh, Racing banner for the very first time at the Rolex 24 Hours. Right Turn Lover says, could G-Drive run their car as an Auris in Daytona? As far as he recalls, IMSA allows any brands sold in the USA at a hefty fee, but does that apply to LMP2 as well? There's not that many Orica road cars. I'm going to dive in with this one, MP. Yeah, because uh, I was going to gonna say the, you, if, the, the logical first question is, are they competing currently with the vehicle as an Auris? Well, I don't think they were at the end of the season, is the straight answer. I think if you have a look at some of the close-up shots of the cars at the end of the 2021 uh, European Le Mans series season. I don't think the Aris badge was there. They might, and they might, by the way, still run with some branding, but not with the car homologated that way. I have to say, I would expect that it's going to be an Orica, at least for Rolex, and I would be, uh, wouldn't be at all surprised um, if the Aris brand on the Orica 07, in the same way as we've had the Alpine, um, did not reappear in 2022. Can't confirm that at the moment, but I'm not at the moment expecting that we're going to see uh, the Aris for Daytona at the very least. That's that one. Uh, Andrew Baxter says, now the season's over, we know the officially confirmed mainstream manufacturer production requirements for IMSA. Do we think the threatened legal action will materialise from Scuderia, Cameron Glickenhouse? He says, or is it all bluster? <laughs> you well, might again be best to answer this one, uh, okay. having well, been we, on well, top of we, uh, we, this whole program in the WC, but yes. Um, well, you, you had the answer to part of it um, in the uh, the online um, conference. The Racer had, uh, EPAR Trade Race Industry Week 2021 with correct. WEC uh, President Frederick Lequin. Uh, uh, indeed. And Fred did, uh, did say there, confirmed what we've heard elsewhere, which is that Jim Glickenhouse has confirmed a full season WEC entry with a single car. Whether or not that means we'll see a second SCG 007 at some races, we don't know. But uh, certainly we do know that it's coming back. That means one of the things that's been up in the air is whether or not the car would uh, would actually arrive at Sebring. It would appear that that is definitely now on the agenda. And that can only be good news. So cars are back now in the United States, or I think in the United States for the first time. Um, and let's hope that they find the opportunity to get out there and test the cars. As for whether or not there'll be any change in the IMSA viewpoint on Glickenhouse, uh, I'm hearing nothing to suggest that that would be the case, I don't know about UMP, but I'm not hearing any uh, change in the outlook that they want to effectively, and some would say correctly, build a stockade around the manufacturers, the OEMs that are investing heavily not only in their uh, their race programs, but also in the activation of those race programs through the marketing fees to pay to IMSA. That one just continues to not necessarily sit well with me, Graham. And that Ooh. is, we're going to converge. Okay, well, that's a big decision. And after a year or two of not really making a lot of progress, or multiple years of not making much progress, we finally agreed to do it. Everyone's all in from... The, uh, the WEC and IMSA technical departments trying to make everything work. Great. <clears throat> We've got these hypercars with manufacturers invested there. We've got the LMDHs that are invested here. Uh, we can come together, these two endurance racing organizations, and 
in theory, in 2023 and beyond, host these large, robust, manufacture-rich prototype uh, class gatherings. But we're going to impose some separate requirements for uh, for the non-IMSA LMDH uh, brands to come to a separate agreement in order to be here. I, I'm not sure how that makes total sense to me. I understand IMSA, and I think folks who know the backstory understand that IMSA says hi. Any manufacturer wanting to play in our series, you are not allowed to just come, do your thing, and go home. You must invest into the series on an annual basis with what we understand to be a round number of about a million dollars worth of a commitment to marketing and promotional uh, spends, whatever it might be. Whether it's uh, an event, you're going to put some of that money towards the manufacturer X, Grand Prix, wherever. Uh, could be TV contributions during the broadcasts and advertisements there, whatever it might be. But if you're going to come here, dear manufacturer, you must commit to spending at least a million dollars. Got it. To have this convergence thing of, all right, we've been divorced and we need to come back together, but here are some extra requirements or entanglements we're going to put in place to allow quote your manufacturers to compete in our series i don't know graham uh i haven't heard that same level of requirement going in the opposite direction i'm sure there is some form of WEC, you know look uh non full-time WEC brand if you want to come over here and do something we're going to expect you to uh, spend some money on our behalf but i just don't know if that's the right way to go about things. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because it seems like an added yeah. barrier when, in theory, convergence is all about breaking down the barriers that have not been healthy for endurance racing. Oh, and we're seeing this in reactions from the fan base in the two areas where that looks to be the case. One is the one we're talking about, which is the Glickenhaus side. Forget for a moment the different specification that the LMP2s are running to. But the other one is that, again, from uh, your conversation with Frederick Lecaire, um, confirmation that uh, of two things. One is that there is definitely going to be no GT uh, GT3 Pro class from 2024 in the FI World Endurance Championship. And the second thing is a very heavy hint that's uh, very much still on the table is some kind of GT3 Plus. I think it was relayed by Frederick as GT3 Le Mans. Um, so I think that's the thing that gives the fan base cause for concern as far as uh, the wc the parallel regulation there is no marketing fee per se for um the wc uh but the there is and i need to check the current regulations there certainly has been uh an insistence that you are not allowed to have a race by race entry in the top class that was the case in lmp1 i believe it was the case last year and by the way i think i've said it once before but i'll say it again here that i believe that at least once on weekend sports cars i stated incorrectly that uh, the glickenhaus was not a full season entry it was for both cars um so that was the arrangement um that was come to that was the basis of the the argument that carried through the season when uh, jim and the team decided not to complete all the races uh, you know, whether or not that was pre-agreed or whatever, uh, not really the issue. But the issue is he definitely did enter both cars as full season entries. So 
I think it's it's an odd part of the debate. In some ways, the standardisation of sports car racing tends to be seen as a negative. In this case, with the uh, the parallels for um, the class structures across IMSA's Veritex Sports Car Championship and the FIWEC, this is an area where I sense a kind of growing um, movement amongst the opinions of the fans that they want to see full complete convergence that if you are you know able to race at uh, the relics 24 hours of daytona that you can bring that car and race at the 24 hours of le mans in that same season i think that's an area where that one i think is going to run and run but pretty clearly and again part of that half an hour uh, interview still online by the way and I, I do urge people who are interested in this kind of level of detail to have a listen to the questions from marshall and the answers that frederick was giving because there's a lot of how can you put it, housekeeping covered in that half hour, that, um, that it's pretty clear to me there are still some things on the table that we might have presumed were done uh, some months ago. 10-4. What are we on to next, my friend? Uh, next one is going to be, it is Edward, Eduardo Chow. First time questioner. Hello, Eduardo. Um, where are all the GTD pronouncements in IMSA? Only three full-season cars announced so far. Is it time to panic? He said he would love to see the Grello car, that's the Monti uh, Porsche, racing against other pro cars. Will this be the Porsche entry? Do we expect Monti and IMSA's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship? I think not. Wow. That's a that's a deep dive and ask and all kinds of things, so I love that. Uh, no. I mean, no. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be really cool. Um I would say we are we have entered with this move uh, a couple days ago into December. We have certainly moved into the time frame uh, of where we would expect the bulk of the announcements to start coming forward, Eduardo. Uh, no doubt there. Uh, no reason to panic whatsoever. There again, we'll see what the final number ends up being full time, but. Uh, eight, nine, ten. Uh, I think we're going to be just fine. And from what I'm hearing, the fear that we or I or whomever have had this whole time, Graham. Okay, cool. GTD has been your big success story. Now you're going to dissolve GTLM. Agree with that move. Uh, replace it with GTD Pro. How much will GTD Pro siphon entries off of GTD? Are we diluting one to build up something else? And from what I have heard, yeah, we're going to might be down a couple in GTD, but it is not going to be the case of GTD pro robbing from GTD to make that grid. So, um, yeah, eight to 10 Eduardo is what I'm thinking. Uh, I don't know how much I have written about what to expect. I think I have a little bit and I'm I'm sure some other outlets have as well, but, uh, yeah, I, I know of, Many that I'm waiting to see come forth, and as we sometimes do, we sometimes get asked to, "Hey, could you please uh, hold off on uh, on breaking that news just because there's a commercial reason or some other driver entanglement where that driver hasn't uh, completed their contract with another manufacturer and et cetera, et cetera." But there's a lot of news to come, Eduardo. There's no question yep. about that. I would say here. Next couple of weeks, obviously, as we start to get towards uh, January. But, yeah, uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. 
Excellent. Jimmy Bender um, is more or less the same question from Jamie asking. He says it doesn't feel like there's been much news or announcements about GTD and GT Pro. Can we give an update on who's going where? It is a tangled web at the moment, isn't it, in terms of who's going to do what and with what. In other words, who's going to go with which manufacturer? And then beyond that, who's going to go with which drivers? Uh, So there's a lot to untangle. And it's been a busy uh, end of the year for these teams as well. Don't forget that. The... um, (sighs) just the business of motorsport has been a lot more difficult in the last couple of years for for a number of reasons but we're going to move on to trevor gagola who says is aston martin considering a gtd pro car at all maybe with the heart of racing i would say watch this space even though it's hard (laughs) to watch an audio presentation of a podcast but watch this space listen to this space I would be very surprised if we do not have at least one twin-turbo V8-powered, beautiful, beautiful Aston Martin uh, on the GTD Pro grid. I really want one of those, Graham, by the way. I'm just saying, knowing the Christmas is coming up, and knowing that (laughs) I I think you kind of like me, I'm just saying, since daily sports car rakes in between $1 to $2 billion per month, you you might be able to afford a really nice present for your pal here. That's all I'm saying. I'm just looking just looking at the price and i can confirm that, that that's not going to happen there you go um so Kipos says it's another aston martin a question what does the future hold for aston martin in top tier gt racing in either WEC or imsa they have factory drivers no factory program at the moment with uh, stroll lauren stroll the uh, new man at the helm of aston martin seemingly only focused on f1 will it be only customer racing I'll defer to that one. I'll defer to you on that one, Graham, because again, we obviously are are grateful and thankful to the heart of racing in their Aston Martin alignment here. If I'm talking again, top tier, at least for what we have uh, in the U S but that's, that's a relatively minor compared to what we have in the WEC regarding Aston Martin. Indeed. Well, I'm certainly expecting multiple uh, GTM cars in the WEC. Um, and, you know, again, watch this space for what's going to come up. There might be a couple of surprises. Certainly there has been a an attempt to see whether or not the market will support the prospect of a GTE Pro Car in the final year of the class in the WEC. That would require a, uh, a buyer to step up for... Uh, to, to buy the car at a level that would allow the car to be campaigned across albeit a constrained world championship and that by the way is a seven figure um euro sum uh, so it is not uh, it's not we're not asking someone to put down 50 grand we're asking someone to put a million plus uh, down to actually acquire one of those cars so the answer on gtd gte pro i think is up in the air i think as we hear uh, other plans coming together it gets less and less likely we are going to have already confirmed five uh, GTE Pro cars for the full season with the announcement that uh, Solo Corvette will join the factory-run Porsches and the AF Corsa factory-blessed Ferraris. So GTE Pro, um, I think, is looking pretty good uh, in terms of a final blitz uh, if the um, balance performance can be as good as it was for the vast majority of of last season. Um, But certainly, if you're a lover of Aston Martin's you, there will be no shortage on the grid. Whether or not we see a pro car, I think, is up for grabs. I'm hearing, uh, again, that a number of the current factory drivers for Aston Martin are going to be retained into 2022. 
if I had to kind of guide towards what they might be looking at, I think had we not had an ongoing impact from COVID-19, we might have seen uh, the program uh, happen this year, 2021. But I think we might see a bit of a concerted effort at the Nürburgring 24 Hours uh, from Aston Martin with a customer partner team. Um, and we'll wait and see whether or not that emerges as the days and the weeks tick by towards the start of the 2022 season. Right. Uh, Daniel Summerskill spotted something. One or two people did. Um, will United Autosports need to change their proposed driver lineup for the IMSA Michelin Endurance Challenge? As at present, the announced combination of Guy Smith, Phil Hansen, and Jim McGuire would not be eligible. That's two goals in the lineup. Are they hoping no one at IMSA notices? Um, I think the answer is there was a bit of a miscue somewhere. I would expect that that will be clarified. And the answer is. Uh, you're entirely correct that, that, that we do have two gold drivers. That's only permitted for the Rolex 24 hours at Daytona. So they will not be permitted to field those for the other three races. Whether or not we see the full season or the all four races gold emerge as Guy Smith, as it was last year, or with uh, Phil Hansen, uh, we're going to have to have a bit of hashtag wait and see. Let's have a look. Mc, Mc, MCN Jasper. Not Mcn Jamps with the Kilami nine hours being postponed, uh, with the emergence of the Omicron uh, variant procedure uh, as COVID nineteen fears around the new COVID variants. Are there any worries about running the Rolex twenty four as planned? MP have yet to connect with anyone at IMSA to ask that question, but I intend to because absolutely, how could it not? Uh, we're not saying that the. Uh, this new variant will rampage across the U.S., but it's here. It, it, the first, I believe, case was detected in my home state of California and where I'm from here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So knowing what Japan just locked down all travel, inbound travel, period, stopped it. Not what I read that they said, if you already have an existing uh, travel booking you're allowed in but uh, no new booking so we're shutting down altogether that's an extreme case obviously i don't know what our uh, president and, and our current administration will do but <sighs> yes uh, what's the concern graham is it hey folks in the uk uh, no you can't travel because we don't want you to go someplace else and bring it back uh, is it the U.S. being very restrictive on borders? Don't know, but it has to be a concern. Is that a cat, one of mine, or yours? That, that is that is that is DSC cat who has not been fed. Oh is, no, uh, we never hear your cat. That that's no, we're no, breaking she's, ground. Uh, she's she's our old lady, um, and uh, she will let you know if um, dinner time has passed, and it most certainly has. Well, why don't so I? Uh, Finished. Why don't I keep answering this question while you go feed your beloved cat? Who had I, had I thought? We, I think we need to add uh, DSC cat to our uh, to our, oh, our show and, sticker. And the, and the and the stunt double. We have two. So uh, there is DSC cat Tango, and her stunt double uh, Bear, both uh, ginger and white. One long hair, one short haired. And then of course the adorable Oscar, who's lying here thinking, "I wish that cat would shut up." We have left um, DSC cats off of our uh, our show cartoon done by Roger Warwick, so I'm going to have him update that. And also, by the way, if you haven't seen it, uh, Roger's wife Whitney has been struck by a uh, a, a medical 
uh, or a, a health issue that has uh, not allowed her to work for a little a little while now, which has thrown uh, the two of them into severe financial jeopardy, uh, facing the potential loss of their house uh, and more. So uh, started a GoFundMe page. And if you yep. have uh, the ability or interest, if you look at any of my social media channels, I have certainly posted uh, the links to that. So if you're looking to help a good person, good family, yep, one of the good guys, yeah, yep. all of our sh- all of our show art, T-shirts, stickers, you name it, uh, pretty much comes from Roger's hands. Um, if you can help, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. But um, coming back to the uh, the the matter uh, here it is certainly something worthy of concern and we got to use a hashtag wait and see obviously because we don't know uh you know speaking about this on december 3rd how this might mess with our world starting with the the roar before the 24 january 21st so there's still some time but yes i am concerned and i would say for sure uh imsa team owners uh, and the sanctioning body probably game planning really hard of okay uh what one or two reserve drivers do i need to get aligned right now in case uh, we're not able to get everyone over since imsa had what was the number graham it was something like 60 percent of the paddock uh is quote international yep uh or flies in. so it's a huge number um the the other thing i'll just add here to close when covid struck hard uh, in 2020 um, the administration that uh, IMSA was able to work with, uh, I think Chad Wolf was the acting head of Homeland Security at the time. Uh, obviously, President Trump and that entire administration was in place. Uh, there was a pretty quick and easy collaboration aligned through NASCAR, or arranged, I should say, through NASCAR uh, to get IMSA and Homeland Security together meeting at uh, with with the acting director uh, Wolf at NASCAR's base in Daytona Beach. And long story short, through this uh, relationship and arrangement, IMSA was definitely able, Graham, to carve through a ton of red tape with great speed and was able to get, when we're getting to, say, the 2021 Rolex 24, um, was able to get a lot of things um, fast-tracked throughout the 2020 season as well. Uh, once that picked up, obviously, we got the Rolex 24 done. We got things done at the beginning of the year, but then that big pause uh, restarted months later. But it was really through uh, former, president, uh, former president relationship with the France family and the ability to get to the acting head of home, uh, Homeland Security to push all this through, get all the international drivers, crew, you name it, in, and go motor racing. What I don't know, since we've obviously had a, a change of presidents, change of administrations, uh, Mr. Wolf certainly no longer in charge, um, where does that relationship stand? Uh, is NASCAR able to ring uh, 1-800-WHITE-HOUSE and speak to the president or similar and create the same kind of carving right through a lot of red tape to get the border open for the key members, uh, international members uh, that play in IMSA. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know when we faced this last time, 
um, boy, there was swift action that made a world of difference. I just don't know if that possibility stands with the uh, the current administration. Okay, we're going to move on to complete our IMSA uh, travels with three questions about the plans of specific drivers into 23 and beyond. John Richter asks about Alex Rossi, says when he had him on your IndyCar show recently, it sounded like he's not driving for WTR in 2022 to focus on his primary job. Will he not be in IMSA next year? Kevin Kemp asks... Uh, with Helio Castro Neves, the announced driver for MSR endurance seat, where does that leave Simon Pagano? Is he free to find an endurance seat with another team? Maybe return to Ali with uh, Jimmy Johnson. And then John Richter uh, again asks, uh, how close are we to the Porsche Bas- banquet where uh, LMDH uh, driver announcements could be made? Will Dane Cameron or Felipe Nazar be racing in 2022? Or are they mostly going to be testing the intent to come back in 23? Lots of great stuff there. Uh, let's see. John Richter, your question. Yeah, I'm actually going to put together a little story here and try and reach out to Wayne Taylor and see if he can share any insights. But Alex has had a fairly dispiriting 2020 and 2021 IndyCar seasons. Not the form that he's accustomed to. It's certainly not a he's driving poorly, et cetera, et cetera type thing. Just had a not great couple of years in IndyCar, coming off of uh, winning routinely, finishing second or third in the standings. I forget exactly where he was this last season, Graham, eighth or ninth or something like that. No wins, hasn't won in two years. His whole note uh, when he visited last week on the IndyCar show was, I need to get back to where I should be in my day job. He's been doing the Baja 1000, which he recently won for the first time in his class done bathurst 1000 uh, what two years ago was it 2020 i believe uh again i could be wrong in the year but um yeah racing this weekend yeah has been busy doing the endurance rounds uh in imsa whether it was with penske and their acura wayne taylor and his acura his whole point was this has been great i've been doing international gt off-road stadium trucks and prototypes all fun, all awesome. I'm going to quiet that down. So I think uh, the plan is, and I'll have to go and listen back, but I believe the plan is for him to do the Rolex 24. Not a big deal. It's January. Uh, the IndyCar season doesn't start until the end of February, sooner than ever almost. But uh, I think he's going to be that, quote, fourth driver for Wayne Taylor, uh, the defending winners of the Rolex 24 at Daytona. But I think that's his jumping off point, And uh, at least for what he told me, He's not planning on doing any of the other extracurricular items. So we'll be curious to see if and what uh, Wayne Taylor Racing decides on for that uh, kind of fixture, the quote third driver for the endurance rounds following uh, the 24 hours of Daytona. Uh, Let's see, Kevin, you ask about Elio being part of the Marshank Racing Endurance seat. Uh, I was not able to ask Shank the question about Pagano. Uh, having seen your question come through uh, during the interview that we just completed this morning, but I will reach out and ask. Was a bit surprised that um, there wasn't just full confirmation of what uh, of Pagano being part of that program, and nothing against Elio. Obviously, he's a phenomenal sports car driver, but I don't know how many would rate him above Pagano. So stay tuned on that. Uh, might even become the subject of a short story on racer.com, but need to uh, get that figured out altogether. And if he's not a part of the team, that'd be weird. 
if you did indeed continue uh, with the uh, ally Hendrick Motorsports and uh, uh, Action Express Racing Cadillac. So uh, stay tuned on that. And uh, let's see, as for Chris Ward, um, I think we're going to find out a number of things in Night of Champions. Yep. We expect, uh, we ex- I expect Cameron and Nasr to be named. I expect a few others to be named. Can't tell you whether they will be racing. I think we're going to see at least one of them, maybe Nasr doing uh, WEC LMP2 with Penske. Um, I don't know if Dane will be doing that, but I can't wait. I can tell you that. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, who all they confirm. Uh, I know about, I think, four to five of the drivers so far, and just can't wait to see who all uh, joins in on that and where they get sent in 22 while they are preparing to go uh, full-time LMDH in 2023. Yep, we're getting to the stage where those playing pieces are coming into formation, aren't we? going to move on now to Weckers, Lubbins, Elms and Aco, and this is the point at which I hand over the baton and you fling questions my way. Flinging commenced. Uh, Geronimo Lazos says, Hey there, long time, no race. Uh, talking about the Asian Le Mans series, any news? about more racing teams joining driver listings and the like for the upcoming season. So obviously you mentioned that a little bit in the open with the uh, fairly sizable car count, although not massive on the uh, top tier uh, P2 side. But what can you tell us, Graham, about this? Maybe more from the angle of not so much the returning names, but maybe some of the new ones that pique your interest on this expanded Asian Le Mans series grid. Um. First things first, it's impressive that there's another record, perhaps not that surprising. Uh, It came close to that 39 last year. I think there were 38 paid entries, but with two unable to get out from China. So we ended up uh, starting the season with 36. But um, there's some great storylines in amongst them and some more to emerge. It is a provisional entry list. Do I expect there to be some changes? Yes, I do. Might that see uh, additional cars added? It could. Uh, I think uh, as time uh, pushes on with the uh, the the issues for logistics, it's it's difficult. And as we said at the top of the show, with this uh, packed endurance racing calendar at the start of the year, that's certainly pushed some teams uh, away from taking the risk on the logistical front. So, for instance, um, anybody that follows the Asian Le Mans series will note that we've got no Alga Pro Racing efforts. In the Asian Le Mans series, they are double defending champions and clearly will not defend that championship. And that's because they've opted to go with the G-Drive racing efforts two weeks before the start of that season um, with the Rolex 3 for hours at Daytona. And there's other stories like that along there. But, um, yeah, I, I certainly can see some of the shape in the GT3 class beginning to come together. That's great, by the way, to see some new names, uh, Asian-based teams, uh, on that uh, entry list. And it's a credit, by the way, to the Asian Amon Series management team for pulling this one together in what are really still very difficult times indeed. Uh, to remind you, this is the final uh, year in the current arrangement where it will be run exclusively by Asian LMEM. Uh, there will be a joint effort for the next season, 22-23, uh, with SRO, with the joint um 
a, a joint uh, running order, or rather a finishing order, uh, which for the GT3 class will attract the uh, the auto invitation next year. Uh, also asks about the reduction in the number of auto invitations. We've, we've covered this a little bit on the weekend sports cars before, but it does warrant um, a bit of a, uh, a kind of review. There will the look by luck of things at the moment be three auto invitations, one for each class, one from LMP2. So it's anything up to 10 cars. There are four at the moment. Uh, it is the same for LMP3, where I don't think there's a number applied there. It is just the winner of that class. And there are 10 cars listed at the moment. Delighted, by the way, to see uh, amongst the cars that are listed an effort. We, we, I feels like we spoke about on the Weekend Sports Cars MP two or three months back, which is Franz Conrad will be there with his Ginetta. Uh, so there'll be the three chassis um, that, uh, that we had last year. There'll be Duquesne, there'll be Ligier, and there will be uh, the uh, Ginetta. And then a mixed bag, seven different makes uh, represented in GT3. Not had terribly much of a conversation with particularly the GT teams. And that's where the number um, certainly has come down. If we'd had... 25 cars in the uh, entry for that class last year it would have been five automatic invitations it will be one um but i think we're beginning to see a bit of a change around in terms of the priorities of some of those teams some of the manufacturers that back those teams up um and we're also seeing a change in the way that the aco in particular are taking back control of their Le Mans 24 hours entry list. We're looking at a potential expanded FIWC entry, potentially up to something closer to 40 cars than the 34 car cap that's basically been applied for several years. Um, that being the case, of course, that reduces the number of entries that the selection committee for Le Mans can hand out. And in an era where as we've covered for the last hour or so, there are a lot of moving pieces. There could well be some eye-catching programs that deserve consideration for the biggest race of the year. And I sense that the ACO want to give themselves the flexibility to make those decisions with a bit more leeway. That, you know, Instead of the seven or eight or nine uh, entries that they'd have to give out um, you know, when push comes to shove, that we might be talking in the kind of mid-teens so an opportunity to decide whether team a or team b gets a second car or team coming next year gets an opportunity to bring lmp2 car to try it out we don't yet know what's going on with peugeot and le mans uh, that's becoming kind of clearer as time goes on but all for all those reasons that's why those moves have been made it certainly hasn't put smiles on some faces. It definitely is the reason why a number of teams are not doing it. But the much bigger reason is that crowded calendar uh, and the logistical difficulties of striking absolutely everybody across international motorsport, including, let's not forget, Formula One, uh, where they came very close indeed to having to push back uh, start of it was Qatar, wasn't it, where the, the freight was extremely late. So uh, all sorts of things going on. It's still not easy uh, to pull together an international race, an international series. But that, I think, is the backstory. It's to do with taking control and reeling in what had been what had got to the stage of being a fairly generous number of automatic uh, invitations to Le Mans. Wow. All right, we're going to go to uh, Georg Buter. says, did you anticipate the announcement of Vector Sport trying mm. to enter a car in the WEC LMP2 class? 
says for hashtag me personally, the announcement, the team itself came out of nowhere. Okay, the answer is um, yes, I did. There was there was, an, uh, there was an indication something was going on, but the uh, the the starting gun for this came with an advertisement for staff uh, online for an LMP2 team based at Silverstone. So you do what you you do in those circumstances. You pick up the phone to someone you know, and I did indeed pick up the phone to someone who has a prominent business on the Silverstone Technology Park and asked whether or not uh, they were aware of anything going on. To which the answer was, what, you mean the team pushing an LMP2 Orica past my workshop as I speak to you right now? So the answer is, yes, I knew. Um, and I knew some of the elements to it. I know some of the elements that are as yet to be announced. Uh, it is a bit of hashtag wait and see for them as to whether or not they're successful in getting an entry for uh, the FIWC. Remember, the WC is an invitation championship. There is a selection committee for that too. Um, and they are... Against 34 cars, I think reasonably heavily oversubscribed, certainly potentially heavily oversubscribed. Um, the general rule of thumb has been in previous years that uh, the first priority is the top class of prototypes, in this case, hypercar, followed by GTE Pro. We know at the moment at least five of those, then LMP2, and then GTE Am. So on that basis, um, well, you know, let me think about a month ago. I was told that uh, the expected number for WC was 11 or 12. I think the number of teams that are now um, asking for an opportunity to join that grid is two or three more than that. We've seen other teams announce their intention to go for it, including G-Drive and Algar Pro, who are looking to do a deal to run a second car alongside ARC Predislava in effectively a two-car garage. Uh, we've heard from the ultimate team, uh, uh, LMP2, um, Pro-Am efforts, uh, excellent team from uh, from France. They're run by the Panis Racing Organization and the uh, Tech One uh, Organization. And the fact that that's in the mix just makes it more likely that Panis Racing will opt to go down the WC route as well because there are proportional savings with the two-car efforts against a one-car effort in terms of freight, in terms of staffing. It's broadly about sort of 10%. So that's interesting. The other interesting thing, by the way, is that there were, I don't think it's going to be too much of a knock-on effect on the numbers for the uh, European Le Mans series because we've got a number of new teams emerging there as well, including confirmed for the Asian Le Mans series, but looking to, to add the European Le Mans series to that. Uh, Nielsen Racing, uh, the current uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, champions, and others too. Uh, and that marketplace mp for drivers is pretty red hot at the moment we've seen in the aftermath of the uh the fia driver rankings uh being published which have thrown multiple spanners into multiple works um two or three of the bigger teams out testing multiple drivers including the um the coming effort from prima power team with iron links for the single car in both the lms and WEC, and amongst the drivers that tested for them at Paul Ricard recently, Sophia Flersch, Robert Kubica, uh, Louis Delatraz, Juan Manuel Correa, uh, and more. Um, so there have been some of the names have been out there, but there were significantly more than that on the ground for that test. Headlines to come in LMP2 again, and that's before we get to the uh, the guys that are looking 
you know, with kind of factory blessing to crowbar their way into an LMP2 seat in anticipation of LMDH to come. So lots and lots going on. It's going to be a very busy winter on the news front, that's for sure. Okay, I'm going to take one while you go feed the cat because I'm a, I, I fear that you are going to get eaten uh, if you don't feed the cat. So why don't you go feed uh, the cat and I'll we'll uh, and I'll uh, I'll take one here from Trevor Gagola. He says, "I believe you've both at least attended one Super Sebring weekend. What is paddock access like? Because I know European races are generally more closed off, and American races, especially with IMSA, say at Belle Isle." Very open to ticket holders. Does the WC paddock open like the IMSA paddock, or is it more closed off? Can only speak to my last attendance there, which would have been 2019. I don't believe the event was held in 2020, so I think I'm safe on that. Um, and I don't believe the WEC came across this year as well. So, yeah, maybe uh, this is the best I can give you here, Trevor. IMSA is indeed open. Uh, if you can get across the bridge, if you can if you can get there, you can wander through and enjoy everything. As I recall on the WEC side, a little bit more choked off. There was maybe the main access point uh, if you were walking through the IMSA paddock and uh, got to the WEC paddock from that direction where they had the big archway that they do, the, the little mobile archway that they do, uh, introducing you to their paddock. And I I think I do recall a couple of security-ish looking people there uh, casting uh, somewhat strong eyes at folks. There's one or two access points um, coming off the, the main road uh, within uh, the paddock, uh, feeding into the paddock, I should say, but just kind of the main uh, through fairway that you can drive through. And I th- seem to recall there might have been one or two points there where I don't know if they were were heavily guarded. So I can just say that having been through the WEC paddock maybe four or five times during the weekend, um, I saw some fans, but a very limited number. So I don't want to state for fact that it was more closed off, meaning that there were actually folks keeping uh, the average fan out I don't know if there was some sort of super pass to get in or if it was just far enough away from where most fans tend to congregate in the paddock that maybe they didn't venture down that far. So I'm not sure. I can't speak to the exact reason why, but I will say that it wasn't as wide and expansive as the IMSA paddock, which makes it a lot easier for fans to walk up and down and just, you know, load and fill that place it was a little bit more cramped. So might might be a few factors here. I don't have the exact answer why. I do recall seeing fans, and I know that they were there for sure, but it wasn't by any means loaded like we normally see the IMSA paddock, Trevor. So uh, if Graham has, if and when Graham has finished feeding the cat, and uh, he might be able to uh, answer here, maybe he knows whether that was uh, truly a... Uh, access badge only kind of thing or not but at least for what i recall light subscription and i did have a little mental note at that point in time trevor of why so you've asked a great question is graham able to answer is he back or did the cat eat him? i'm literally just back but didn't hear the question um do you recall whether the WEC paddock was open, truly open to any and all fans or if it was yep. limited uh, to specific 
credentials or passes or whatnot, because as I was mentioning and responding to Trevor's question, I do recall yeah. seeing fans there, but it was a very limited amount, which made me wonder then, like, oh, is this kind of restricted compared to the IMSA paddock, which is seemingly come one, come all? Uh, the answer is we've had a closed paddock to anybody other than credentialed uh, staff. Uh, since the start of COVID-19, so that has not changed um, in the 2020 or the 2021 season. That included the Le Mans 24 Hours, and indeed at the 2020 Le Mans 24 Hours, it included the vast majority of media were not allowed into the paddock. There was so we're a very we're going back here to 2019, the last Super Sebring and uh, the yep. WEC paddock pre-COVID. So, do you recall that, what that open. might have been? No, absolutely open. That, oh, okay. that one completely open. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I just in the four or five times that I was in the paddock there, I was just always surprised by the relatively small number of fans. So I wondered if there was some sort of uh, super access badge no, uh, that no, no, folks had to have, or they just didn't know no, it was there. Not. In fact, I mean, at the end of the race, I mean, um, I've, I've done uh, in WC history, I've done the podium celebrations, hosted those twice. Uh, once was the championship winning year for uh, Andre Lotterer, uh, Marcel Fesler and Benoit Trelluet at Shanghai when the flags fell off the, the, uh, the poles. And the other one was Sebring, where you might recall, MP, it absolutely threw it down with rain at the conclusion of the race. But we had a very sizable number of fans for that paddock-based podium ceremony. So the answer is no. And I would expect that subject to kind of covid ebbing away as a concern that is certainly the direction they would like to get back to sooner rather than later it's fair to say they are being significantly more i could put this i don't want to say cautious because cautious sounds like it's a it's a it's a hit on emsa which is not meant to be but significantly less liberal in their attitude to getting back to normality we certainly have had uh, fans trackside at a number of races at the end of 2021 for the very first time that was great to see in the case of portimouth the lms the necessity there was that some areas of the outer paddock were available to fans effectively to walk through from the outside of the track to the inside so uh, but generally speaking it's been closed um and i've not caught up and I think, to be honest with you, they're not expecting there to be clarity yet about when that might come back. They'll take everything on its own merits. Let's face it, I mean, this point last week, uh, we were expecting a goodly proportion of the international GT3 community to be racing in South Africa this weekend. Life is changing very quickly right now. No doubt. Let's see. Why don't we get to one or two more? Well, actually, we don't have that many above the red line of death. Uh, Gregorish Piotrowitz says hello guys next week we expect some maybe yep. major announcements from Liget. um want to crack into this a little bit more graham yeah yeah i mean this is a teaser picture that's been issued by Liget um of a new car that they will be revealing i think on tuesday of next week um i've been asked the question a number of times on social media do you know do i know what it is yes i absolutely know what it is um you know should people be excited by it if you like really fast um, cars around a track the answer is yes you should get excited by it um, you know beyond that what is it I'm not going to tell you it's a straight answer I just think we should allow them to have uh, their moment uh, to announce something that I know having spoken to one of the principals at uh, Ligier last night in fact uh, they're exceedingly proud of 
Um, and I think it, the, the project is looks to me like a huge amount of fun. So there's a bit of hashtag wait and see. Apologies, uh, we can't give you any major scoops. But yes, I know what it is. Yes, it's pretty awesome. And yes, I think fans will like what they see. It's a golf cart. It's <laughs> a Ligier golf cart. It's, it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. Uh, Chris Mock says, Ooh. Will Alan McNish, once he is done uh, working uh, at the North Pole for Santa, making all yep. the toys for uh, all the good children, yep. will Alan McNish still be a regular on the WC commentary team in 2022 and beyond? If not, any idea who might be a good fit for that role? Uh, well, I can tell you that the uh, the decisions are not done yet, so I don't know whether or not I'm going to be back. Uh, Martin Haven doesn't know whether or not he's going to be back, and uh, to a degree, you would expect that what would drive Alan's ability or willingness to be back would be how the Audi LMDH program comes together. My belief is that we will see him for a very significant chunk of the season, all other things being equal, but that is a combination of his choice and WEC's choice. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what the score is going to be. This, by the way, is for the uh, international feed communi- uh, uh, comms, which you'll get on the WEC app. Yet another matter, by the way, that you skillfully uh, leverage something out of Fred Lequien, um, that there's a new app on the way, something I didn't know. Um, I, I think, to be fair as well, uh, on behalf of the paying customers, not before time, Um but we don't yet know just exactly what the show is going to be, what changes there will be. I can tell you that they are moving forward with some ambition. They're moving forward with some ambition about the potential to grow the audience for the WEC, particularly when we get into 2023. And my guess would be that if you're heading towards that, rather than changing literally everything um, over one winter, it makes sense, doesn't it, to trial some of the potential changes in 2022. So um, so the reality at the moment is we don't know what the shape of that coverage is going to be. Uh, I would anticipate not massive changes for the coming season. I hope to be back doing it. I absolutely love my time at the microphone for the WEC, and I think we've got a cracking team. Um, you know, both the WEC and, by the way, under a completely separate contract for the the Mon 24 Hours as well. And uh, I think you'll be seeing some familiar faces across all of that uh, into and through 2023. And then, you know, maybe some changes as we start to get into a brand new era. Not enough conversation about Bentley blowers. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the complaint I've been sending in. So you got to get that tuned up. All right, Graham, we are not too far from the finish line for this episode. There are a couple of additional WEC, Aslam, Elms, ACO options for you. Do you want to pick from any of those? Do you want to move on? That's you quick, tell us. You, you said about tre- Trevor. Uh, the, we, we covered off yep, Trevor. Okay. Uh, only a word on the future of what US Racing will be doing in 22, supporting Glickenhaus. More importantly, 2023, LMDH with Audi. Definitely is LMDH with Audi. Or going full circle and back to US Porsche for possible last hurrah. I think what you need to get your heads around here is it's a very different Yoast than it was back in the glory days of Audi. There are still familiar faces, familiar names, but it's a very different package. It was even into the days where they were supporting the Mazda uh, effort in IMSA. Uh, racing and that uh, continues into this year i'm hearing nothing to indicate that there'll be a change for uh the scuderia cameron glickenhouse effort so my expectation at the moment is it will carry on 
with uh, that effort. They clearly did a very good job indeed at the Le Mans 24 Hours. But in terms of what their future plans are, there's been all sorts of things that could have happened, including a switch to GT racing a couple of years ago that didn't happen. Um, but I think we're going to see numbers of very well-established teams doing things you might not have expected them to do. Well, the, the, uh, the other ones, Phoenix Racing, look to be on the verge of potentially pushing for P2 and LMDH. In fact, um, what they're going to be doing at the end of this year is effectively shuttering the team and reopening as a much smaller organisation. Their ability to support their customer efforts uh, is rather hampered by still having on board um, too many individuals, if you like, that are appropriate for the factory-level programmes that they currently don't have. Uh, they don't have DTM, of course. They don't have uh, some of the GT uh, efforts they had in the past. And there's more besides that. I think we're going to see some uh, teams stepping out from the shadows and being significant players. I think we're going to see others um, just consolidating and making their plans work. It's, I hope, the final mention um, in this show of COVID-19. Do not underestimate the impact that just getting people and cars to the races has had on a very large proportion of people in motorsport, not just endurance racing, but motorsport uh, in general. It has been extremely expensive. It has been uh, very taxing for people mentally. And uh, right now, you know, people, I guess, need what they're not going to get, which is a little bit of quiet time. And what they don't need is eight, eight consecutive weekends of endurance racing straight after the Christmas break. So um, watch the space in terms of Yoast. I expect them to be back with Glickenhaus. Uh, I expect we're going to hear and see some very significant plans, for very significant names on both sides of the Atlantic, whether or not they're going to be linked in with GT, with Prototype, in some cases potentially with both, or whether or not we're going to see people taking a bit of a step back to consolidation through the next couple of years. Where do we go, brother? And let's have a look at Gregor, uh, who asked about Valentino Rossi's options outside Esselero and the ACO ladder. Could we see him at the same track with Jorge Lorenzo? Don't know about the last bit, but there's uh, a very interesting interview with uh, Valentino Rossi at his final race weekend in MotoGP at Cota, uh, where he, to my mind, very surprisingly name-checked, very bluntly, IMSA, and in particular the Rolex 24 Hours, You've got to say on the basis of what was said and how it was said, looks to me like he's got plans to come and do the Rolex 24 uh, MP. Beyond that, lots of people are pushing hard to get Valentino Rossi as the draw that we know he will be. Announced today, he will be back for a third time in a GT3 Ferrari at the Golf 12 Hours. Uh, definitely, there's the, uh, the options uh, GT World Challenge, uh, WC and or the European Le Mans series. Um, and, you know, as we said again on Twisk, that we know that Porsche have had a bit of a, a punt at trying to get um, the world's most famous Italian into their car for what comes this coming season. Um, that, it's odd, isn't it, that when we're talking here about effectively a gentleman driver um, is the, one of the most anticipated signatures in the paddock right now, uh, simply because he's just all kinds of awesome. And... Um, I think we might have to be a little patient, bluntly, if it's Porsche, but I think we'll hear at the Knights of Champions. I'm hearing that's less likely now. Um, but 
uh, Porsche already have Michael Fassbender stepping up for Le Mans uh, in the coming year. And we don't yet know whether or not that's going to be with a full WC program. The final episode, by the way, of the Michael Fassbender Road to Le Mans documentary uh, was launched today, the end of the third season. That's uh, and By the way, I know we've had a couple of questions in the last couple of years about Michael and his racing. You know, why are Porsche doing it? What's the advantage here? It's a very simple answer. I went and tallied up the views for that series on YouTube. This current edition, per part nine of season three, will pass the 60 million downloads or 60 million views for that series. Now, that is in a niche part of the sport and not in an intercontinental or global formula. It's the European Le Mans series. That's why Porsche are doing it, because it puts them in front of a very large audience indeed. Something like two and a half to three million views per episode um, for those very professionally done uh, videos. Uh, and uh, you know, if you get a chance, um, I've, I've uploaded, I've put the links in for all of them on Daily Sports Car this morning. Do have a bit of a binge watch if you want. They're very well done. And there's some real insights into the challenges for someone stepping into racing, into a cup car, as you did in season one, and then across into the challenging beast that is a GTE car. Uh, highly recommended uh, from my point of view. What else we got, MP? Uh, well, if we have covered off in a good old whackety whack whackety whack woo woo uh we have Heganeral <laughs> and fun yep. to go uh, and we are not too far away from uh the rough hour or so we try and uh strive towards so um i know that you've gotten into one or two here um with the uh, Heganeral uh Joe Izzo i'll take that one says MP yeah. SCCA announced they're stepping away from pro racing good or bad idea for them and for those outside the U.S., heck, maybe even in the U.S., uh, Sports Car Club of America is really the oldest and strongest amateur racing organization, period. A uh, newish organization in the 90s, late mid-late 90s, named NASA, North American, North Auto Sport or something, whatever. Not the folks that go into outer space. Uh, NASA came about, and they've been uh, very good, very strong uh, rival or competitor, but... SECA really been the the underpinnings of motor racing in this country uh, for uh, you and your neighbors and everyone else for a super long time, 50,000-plus members. Top of the amateur racing that they've done forever, they have had pro racing for quite some time. Uh, would say Trans Am stands out as maybe their, their marquee product over many, many years. Um there's been a variety of open wheel as well that they have sanctioned super V, which is where I got my start in racing as a, as a young mechanic and whatnot. Uh, they've had a variety of sports carish GT in open wheel offerings throughout the year. Some endurance stuff kind of light, you know, more showroom stock production vehicle based the old SCCA, uh, race trucks series, which is a pretty fun one. Little small pick em up trucks. Um, they've been in the pro racing space for many, many, many years. To Joe's question, though, talking about them stepping away, what they've done more than once is jump out of pro racing and do some form of sanctioning or lease agreement, I should say, with whatever other organization this happened in the 
mid to late 2000s with the SCCA World Challenge Series, Graham, where the folks who were running SCCA Pro Racing had worked themselves into a giant deficit with the mothership, with, with SCCA in general. The SCCA was having to take a ton of their profits to prop up uh, SCCA Pro Racing. The, the mothership got to a point to where they said, nope, we're not spending anymore. Uh, you just keep burning our money. We're not doing it. And at which point, all of a sudden, World Challenge gets uh, passed off and a, uh, call it a lease agreement, uh, sanctioning agreement is done where members of the paddock took it over. And then we know that this is uh, many years later, but not too long ago, uh, the SRO came in and took over controlling interest. So it's been a fluctuating thing, Joe, where based on the SCCA's quality of folks running things uh, or the lack of quality, uh, over the last 10 or 15 years, we've had now, I think, at least two, maybe three instances of them stepping away in part, uh, sanctioning the uh, F3, F4 open wheel series, right? That's now fully run by um, Perella Motorsports Holdings. Um, and now Trans Am is something that, is, uh, that Perella as well runs. So what we have here, in effect, is another cycle where the SCCA has said it's best for us financially and vision-wise and everything to stick with the amateur stuff that we do amateur road racing um autocross solos that kind of stuff high performance driving events uh they do a lot of cool stuff a lot of fun stuff as well graham uh drivers education racing schools they do all kinds of great stuff but i do wonder if they are ever going to come back to pro racing and have something that they uh, they decide that they want to run and they want to sanction. Seems like a good call, Joe, for right now. Mm-hmm. Would also say that if Manufacturer X steps up and says, hey, we want to do like Volkswagen did uh, with the diesels uh, not too long ago, um, we're going to run this uh, VW Jetta diesel or whatever series it was. We're going to do that for a couple of years. And you go, great, cool, manufacturer stepping up spending, and this is a, a cool one-make series. And then VW says, yeah, we're good with that. Let's no longer do it. And all of a sudden, this property goes away. Uh, if a manufacturer steps up like that and wants to spend money with the SCCA, I'm sure we will see pro racing return. But until then, uh, I, think, I think we're seeing a, a pretty significant turning of the page uh, with their focus. So, I mean, this stuff is meaningful, Graham, but it, it's yep. where the SCCA once had the proverbial ladder uh, program come and learn how to drive and race as an amateur and work your way up. And then we have some pro series, whether you're an open wheeler or a sports car person, and you can step up, up, up. And if you one day want to go to IndyCar, IMSA, whatever, like we're going to get you almost all the way there. This is. Uh, abandoning that and just saying nope once you're uh, once you're done with us from an amateur standpoint you're gonna have to pick and choose someone else's organization 
Fair enough. Okay, I'm going to just grab one more from her general, and then maybe one each from fun to finish. MCN Jasper again says, uh, how and when do you travel to races such as, for example, the Rolex 24 Hours and Le Mans? Imagine it can be very difficult and hectic sometimes. It is, and you know, generally speaking, I tend to travel with uh, a bunch of guys from uh, dailysportscar.com, whether or not they're based in country or come with me from the UK. Um, there's two answers to the question. It's what we've always done and what we've been doing for the last two years. What we've been doing for the last two years is doing it on the basis of where are the available avenues to travel. Um, the days uh, through 2020 and 2021, there were significantly fewer choices um, to fly. I think I said on the last week of the week before show, I've not had a single flying trip in the last two years where at least one and in many cases both of my flights were cancelled um, and when I say cancelled I don't mean chuck back an hour I mean days um, so that's been a, a key part of it I generally tend for an intercontinental race to try to arrive and give myself a bit of downtime so I can get to the track rested you know when you're going to Japan or the States it's a significant uh, flight from the UK uh, with our European racing for the last two years, almost all of it, with the exception of Portugal, uh, we've done by car. So we've driven to Monza, we've driven to the Red Bull Ring, uh, we've driven all over Europe for the last two years just to reduce the kind of um, the uncertainty that uh, airborne travel has actually been over the last two years. But generally speaking, I like to arrive in the paddock as mentally fresh as I possibly can. Uh, which generally tends to mean you're trying to get uh, boots on the ground for the biggest races uh, a day before cars hit the track. For Le Mans, typically, um, in previous years, we've gone for the test weekend, then come home, and then gone back again on the Saturday before uh, scrutineering, and we stay for the week, travelling back on the Monday. Um, in the last two years, that's been effectively just race week with, of course, the um, the test day bolted on at the at the top end of that so basically it, it's a very simple rule which is why we're there um we need to be adding value from being th at those races there's lots of things you can do from distance but some things you cannot so if you're going to put in the time and the not inconsiderable um, monetary investment in uh, in going to these races particularly intercontinentally you've got to be sure that you're going to be adding value by being there so you, know, you don't get on the bus if you like unless you've got a contribution to make yeah it's an interesting one uh mick and jasper i've been thinking about this quite a bit of late because although i traveled to a couple of events towards the end of this last season they were all on the west coast uh not far from home drove to one of them uh, as well but flights are pretty much the norm for me and knowing that we are still uh, in the midst of this cancer fight and physical therapy multiple times a week to overcome my wife's uh, some of the mobility issues that she's been dealing with i am just having to think and i don't have answers to all this but i'm having to game plan some of the stuff because the travel for motor racing, which was once the priority for me and us with you know what I had to do or what I do for a living, while it's still super important and I still need to do it so we can cover the bills and, and whatnot, I'm having to think about what changes will be coming to my travel routine. What significant changes will I have to make uh, compared to a 
fairly well-defined system I've had for many, many years now. So instead of, for example, Rolex 24, which I hope to attend for the first time in a couple of years, normally I'd be flying out Tuesday. Uh, I know that we've moved the roar up to the previous weekend. So, um, you know, years ago prior to cancer, would I have flown out for the roar and stayed uh, for two consecutive weekends from the roar through the race? Probably uh, for what's coming if I'm able to go, um, or at least in previous years when the roar was earlier in the month, I'd go out for the roar, come home, then fly out race week on a Tuesday, even though we aren't on track until Thursday, but that gives me all day Wednesday to be in the paddock, take photos, talk to people, do videos and stories and whatever. I can guarantee you that if I am able to go to the Rolex 24 here, Graham, uh, at the end of January, I will not be flying out before Wednesday, guaranteed, last flight possible uh and you know red eye zombie thursday morning and compared to the normal plan which is you know whatever the checkered flag time ends up being on a sunday three o'clock two o'clock four o'clock whatever um the plan's always been stay write all the race reports and sidebars and you name it normally get out of there at 7 p.m 8 p.m drive to Orlando, stay at a hotel at the airport or nearby, and then catch a flight in the morning, somewhat early in the morning, but at least have that night to sleep a little bit. Brother, we have a fixed physical therapy time every Monday at 1 p.m. in California. And I don't care what it is, and I don't care who else needs to do it. Uh, I will be Mm -hmm. flying home Sunday night. Because yep. being, even though I'm going to be a zombie, getting home Sunday night to be there for the real priority, that's the thing. We have physical therapy fixed time on Thursdays as well. For many events, fly out on a Thursday because they're often Friday through Sunday. Uh, if I can, I will and go out on that red eye. But if not, I don't know what to tell you other than I'll see you Friday as soon as I can get there. But if I'm going across the country... I might need someone else to cover Friday's reporting remotely until I can get there at whatever point Friday and probably not see the track until Saturday. So I don't mean any of this to sound flippant. I'm just saying that no, uh, no. the question real, being asked is, is normally, life. well, just normally I have all this stuff down to a bit of a, a science from timing. Like, okay, my flight is at 12. We leave the house at this exact time. I know what traffic is like. I know how long it takes to get through TSA security and there's almost no time to spare, but I've got it down to a pretty good science, so I am almost never need to sit in a chair um, at a gate waiting for a plane. It's almost get through TSA, walk straight onto the plane, off you go. Time's been maximized. Now it's like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea when I'm leaving uh, to get there, but I sure as heck know when I need to get back. So we'll see. It's going to be a, uh, an interesting yep. year. It is indeed. We'll finish off with, uh, if you want to select one, I'll select one from James Counter. It says, our conversation about Valentino Rossi caught his imagination. Who's the star who's come into the paddock to race and have been the most loved by their competitors because they took interest in making friendships with their rivals? We've got two sorts of stars, haven't we? We've got the stars of motorsport and we've got the stars that come in um, from other avenues of life. Um, and we've had a number of both. I think for me, the one that came in and... I think took it straight to his heart. It's his second time 
um, with top class sports car racing was Mark Webber um, in his time with Porsche. And uh, it had its ups, it had its downs, it had its frustrations. He didn't uh, manage to take a win at the Le Mans 24 Hours, but he's very proud of his contributions to that program and what it achieved in terms of world championship wins and Le Mans wins for his, uh, for his teammates. But uh, I thought Mark came and did it with absolutely the right spirit. Um, beyond that, um, with the, if you like, the stars outside of motorsport, not, I've not done much with Michael Fassbender. He's been extremely friendly when we have uh, passed, um, you know, going to the same kind of orbits. But generally speaking, I'm very aware of what that program is and the pressure that he is putting himself under, is being put under. So I've left him to get on with it. Patrick Dempsey, um, in his time with us in the WEC, uh, his final season, rather oddly, I think every single flyaway we were on the same flights and uh, we're in the same lounge and on the same bus out to a plane etc and he was a delight wanted to know what the gossip was i think he was filming bridget jones baby in london that year um and so obviously his day job was all encompassing it got to the point where clearly through contract he agreed that he could get on the plane and go to fuji or shanghai and he wanted to get back and embedded uh, into that world and did so in a in the kind of way you would hope that some of those enthusiasts about it would do so yeah we've we've had both sides of the spectrum people who get it people who don't the people who do tend to stick around the people who don't don't tend to be around for very long I'm trying to think who i should mention here maybe jeff gordon just okay. because it was such a fish out of water thing for mr nascar to come over and do uh, the Rolex 24 a couple years ago with Wayne Taylor. Um, know a lot of people in his orbit, but never got to know him and just really enjoyed him and enjoyed observing how much doing the Rolex 24 meant and being in a really competitive team capable of winning, obviously, hey, he had a pretty good Rolex 24 with Wayne Taylor Racing. Um, but I, I think I enjoyed that the most. And in whatever amount of time he and I were able to spend, uh, I would say it was very much the letting down of, of the guard. That's something where with NASCAR drivers, uh, the, the well-known NASCAR drivers, most are so accustomed to being in just constant media spotlight and grind to where if you think of a Rolex 24 gram, that's, that's a bit of a break, almost a vacation from the norm. And you often, you know, I've often seen, uh, they can put up those walls cause they don't want to have it feel like a normal NASCAR event where they're just hammered constantly with media and requests and interviews. want to dial back on that and just, enjoy racing for the sake of it so i didn't know what i was going to get from jeff and i was really surprised pleasantly surprised to see he was just super down to earth really enjoying it and was open to sharing uh some of that uh, perspective from his end being a bit open right because there's an expectation yeah big name miss you know x-time champion etc there's excellence that folks would expect to come along and he was, you know, really open about saying like, hey, man, I don't know my ass from a hole in the ground and I'm trying to learn all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And it was just, 
that that was really cool and it's not like he and i quote know each other but i know that if i wanted to reach out and ask something or had do an interview about something i know that uh he'd probably be open for it and again that's just goes against cool. the norm uh it let's see indeed. why don't i go to one for finish yeah I'm, I'm i'm looking here okay grant stouter says you own dumpster fire motorsports <laughs> i don't know how you uncovered that i've been trying to keep that secret grant but uh but, but well researched says you own dumpster fire motorsports and i'm gonna throw this at you graham who's your team manager is it andy evans or scott bovey who do you scott pair bovey every time okay um who do you pair with mr hammer emporium that being christoph bushu uh, is it olivier bretta or gustavo yakaman Mm. yak attack depends or uh, depends on what you're looking to achieve doesn't it what what if you're looking to achieve winning any race the answer is neither um if you're looking to achieve absolute amusement in the paddock are both without a shadow of a doubt uh, I, I think with the the, the the people we're talking about here Andy Evans with Scott Beauvais and if that's not a name that's familiar to people uh, ex-CEO of Pretty World Challenge back in the day um, then um, Olivier Beretta Gustavo Yakaman and uh, Christophe Bouchou that, that's one hell of a dinner party isn't it can you imagine that one of an evening with a chicken sandwich a lot of ga- guns drawn but held under the table at each other <laughs> a lot of nut shots potentially happening yeah i uh, think the answer is that there are some challenging personalities without a shadow of a doubt they are by no means the only ones and it's also challenging personalities in different company so you know you can find somebody who is perfectly fine in an environment that they're comfortable with but then then coming under pressure from a kind of pro driver uh, all pro um a combination that sometimes draws out the worst side of people. They, they're not getting that collaborative um, vibe that sports car racing brings with it that so many people really love. I think some of these guys don't, and that at times can be hectic. Um, are they all awful people? No, they're not all awful people. One or two of them are awful people, I'll be honest with you, but um, they're, they're, they're certainly not, you know, uh, the kind of king size horrors that perhaps uh, some people might like to paint them with. Just sometimes they can have a bad day, or in the case of one or two of them, 365 consecutive bad days. Uh, so it's the, the, the thought that that might happen is more than a little amusing, uh, but my guess is it would wear off pretty darn quickly. Final to close here, uh, knowing that this is indeed something Grant has spent a considerable amount of time sorting out hold on did i close the word document or do i still i close the word document i'm so stupid uh let me let me open it i got it here i think am i right i have here we go okay uh let me scroll down what a moron uh but you know that uh the final part to his question how many bodyguards do you hire to keep the rest of the paddock from whooping up on your team graham uh they don't need bodyguards they they come with their own uh, um, hammers yeah, uh, amongst other things. So no, they wouldn't need bodyguards. Um, I think that uh, that what they've got as the main weapon of choice is personality. Yeah, I was going to say Beauvais actually might be considered a superhero because his personality is one that is capable of repelling 
everyone in his immediate vicinity. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, I do the intro it's for the shows. That means you do the outros for the show. Thanks, by the way, to everybody who sent in a bunch of questions. And hopefully, uh, I don't get voted off the island. And uh, well, granted, <laughs> if Marino were to take this over from me, I'd actually feel like we were doing a better service to our listeners. Good stuff. But it's been a delight to have you back after a couple of well-deserved weeks away, MP. And we're going to say, as well as thanks to Marshall Pruitt and thanks to our good friends at Cooper Tires, at the Justice Brothers and at torontomotorsports.com. He's been Marshall Pruitt. I've been Graham Goodwin. This has been the Weekend Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Collection. Uh, heading on to all seven and a half million downloads now, MP, I believe. Uh, we'll be with you next week.